You're listening to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week we're sharing a conversation with Ava DuVernay following a screening of When They See Us, a four-part series chronicling the notorious case of five teenagers of color labeled the Central Park Five who were convicted of a rape they did not commit. DuVernay co-wrote and directed the series, which is now streaming on Netflix. After the screening, she joined New York Film Festival director Kent Jones to discuss the project. Let's go to that conversation now. I'll start with a, a comment, not a question. Okay. <laughs> the way you're not supposed to do q and and just say, I was really uh, um, in awe of, of this because I felt like you really, really did justice to... Um, one of the greatest injustices in the history of the country. Um, and one that I remember living through when it was happening, not living through, but I remember the whole, mm-hmm. you know, when the press was getting all whipped up and everything was going on. Where were you and how were you taking it in? Mm-hmm. Hi, folks. <laughs> um, I was a junior in high school in in L.A. And so on the West Coast, I grew up, was born in Compton. And so... It was an environment that not, not, is not dissimilar to these, these boys um, who grew up in Harlem um, around the same time. And I remember being, I remember hearing about the story. Yeah. I remember being struck by it only because they were around my age. Yeah. And, you know, I'd heard about Harlem and kind of thought it was similar to Compton. Um, but I definitely wasn't into the, the details of the case. I just remember the word wilding. Yeah, sure. I remember that word. And I remember wondering what it was because, yeah. you know, I thought I was up on my black urban youth slang yeah. and thought, what is this? What's wilding? So I called a cousin who lived here and I asked what it was and he said, we don't know what it is. We think they mean wilding out. And wilding out just means hanging out, like just chilling. It doesn't mean, you know, attempted murder, assault and, right. and all of that. And so this word wilding out, as you see here, that becomes wilding you know, quickly becomes wolf pack animals um, and was used to, you know, paint these boys as, as, as villains in, in a story that they quickly lost control of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, the way that the Fuhrer was whipped up and that's something that you really do, you know, very well. Um, I, I, I just have to ask you about how you figured out the dramatic structure because it's a lot of material to cover, and you really did it in a... Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of material to cover, so it was 25 years that we, right. that we chronicle. Um, it is, um, you know, a story that, um, you know, I knew I was going to need multiple actors to play the parts of the, of the boys as they became men. Um, but really, it was, uh, for me, uh, there's a world in which you have a character that plays Donald Trump. You have an actor. Yeah. There's a world in which you're following detectives and right. it's a whodunit, it's yeah, a yeah, true yeah. crime thing. Um, but when I centered the story and everything I did around the boys' voices, yeah. giving voice to their experience, their family, their emotions, their dreams, their youth ripped from them, um, it centered it in a way that really prioritized their perspective yeah. and it started to give me a framework to work on, mm-hmm. to, to work from. And then from there I started to apply a lot of the things that um, I was using in 13th, mm-hmm. which was you have to give people context to understand right. this case. Right. So each of the um, parts is broken up to not only um, invite you into the case of the Central Park jogger and the Central Park Five, but also educate to, 
educate people to the criminal justice system and all of all its nooks and crannies. So the first part is all about police interaction, police aggression, how it feels to be black and brown and to be approached by police, um, you know, um, uh, uh, addressed by the police, Pol- uh, what they call precinct behavior, all of those mm-hmm. pieces that go into uh, the beginning of processing people through the criminal justice system. The second part that you saw is about the courts and bail and juries and judges and district attorneys and prosecutors and public defenders and all of these things that kind of bring you in to that space. The third part of it um, that comes after this is about um, juvenile detention Mm -hmm. and how we're still incarcerating um, kids in some states around the country still in adult prisons and formerly incarcerated people. So we deal with that in three, how people who have been incarcerated, have served their time, come out and are still treated as less than full citizens with the whole swath of rights that have been taken away from them. And then the fourth, we deal with incarceration, particularly solitary confinement. Yeah. So the goal is, yes, this very famous case that you're getting, you know, all of the information about and the full story about, but also as you watch it, um, I'm trying to bring you into the overall system that we're all ensnared within yeah. because our taxpayer dollars um, go toward, you know, making all this happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're quite right because you're staying within their world, within their, you know, it's not about like the crusaders on the outside yeah. or the reporters. You know, I mean, yeah. that's just it was easy. I mean, I was tempted to do some of that. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, the goal was to honor their story and give them voice for the first time. You know, yeah. those confessions as you saw, are coerced, so those are not their voices. Yeah. You didn't hear their voices at the trial. Yeah. So at no point are there, is their perspective ever centered or prioritized in this whole fiasco, yeah. um, which in the end was all based on lies. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting to think about what it is that actually drove somebody like Linda Fairstein to just kind of put together this, what finally is really an outlandish concoction. I mean, there's no, there was no rhyme or reason to it. Um, yeah, it wasn't you know. true. Yeah, so I mean, what, what what makes anyone lie or say outlandish things or tweet outlandish things? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. You have to ask them. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> now, I can imagine that for the for the actors that you know you cast in these roles who are absolutely amazing. I mean, you know, uh, uniformly, yeah. Getting them oriented with their characters, and then I would imagine that they met all of their real-life counterparts and spent time with them. But I wonder, in the case of this particular project, what that was for them. Um, yeah, especially the young boys. On I, both ends, yeah. Say, sorry. On, on both sides. Of the, for yeah, the, yeah. I think for the young boys, it was important for me to make sure that they had context, that they right. knew what they were doing, yeah. that they weren't just in scenes and just knowing their lines. Yeah. But it was important for them to understand what their part, you know, how their yeah. part fit into the overall puzzle. So they had homework, they had packets, they really almost yeah. had tests. They went through, like, criminal justice school. Yeah. But also about this case, that they really understood their guy yeah. um, before they even met their guy. Mm-hmm. And for the younger, the, the young boys, the young actors, meeting their real-life counterpart wasn't as... Um, transformative as it was for adult actors meeting the adult they will play because they're looking in the eyes of the person that they're going to play for the young guys as i would talk to them they're like it it wasn't you know you can't play an adult you're playing you're trying to think of who that person is as a kid and that got us tripped up a little i said don't think about him as a kid 
just try to um, really the meeting of the men was all about stakes. Mm -hmm. You are playing a real person. Mm -hmm. Don't try to be him because you're not going to be him because he's not that anymore. Right. But his story resides in you now. Right. The part of his story he can never tell that was never told is your responsibility. And that seemed to give the boys a lift and yeah. they approached it, all of the boys you see, with such a serious kind of, um, their objective was to um, define these men yeah. in ways that they had never been defined and never been allowed to explain for mm -hmm. themselves. And so that responsibility, I think, um, you can see the performances lift a little bit. Yeah. I actually saw a change in working with them yeah. once they understood was it, what was at stake. Yeah. yeah. I mean, can you talk about that unbelievable performance? But, and I'm not going to remember his name, but the boy who plays Kevin. Yes. Uh, so the boy who plays Kevin is the one with the black eye who gets yeah. hit by the helmet early on yeah. is the only boy out of the five who has absolutely no acting That's experience. Incredible. So he... Yeah. Somebody saw him in a school play in Baltimore and sent me a tape. Yeah. And, um, and I remember Skype auditioning for, with him because yeah. he was in Baltimore and I'm in L.A. And I said, God, I don't want to fly this kid to L.A. for a, a real audition because he's never done anything. And let me talk with him first. Let me see him first. Yeah. Um, so we Skyped and he was great. I flew him out. He was better. And every time I saw him, he just, he just, um, he, he desperately wants to, to be an actor, he walked yeah. into his audition with the Uta Hagen book and the thing. I'm like, what? <laughs> What's oh happening? Oh my God. <laughs> yes, you are, you are cast. <laughs> yes, come do this. Oh, and he was fantastic, but on, on you know, that on one hand, on the other hand, not, you know, the blocking, the usual terminology that we use on set, some of that escaped him early. Um, but by the end, he, I mean, he added, he's a force. Yeah. And I really hope that the industry, all these boys, I hope the industry rises to their talent. Yeah. You know, I think of, I always forget his name. He, he's the sweetest young man. Timothy Sh Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet, yeah. He is such a sweetie pie. I mean, I see him out and he is a gentleman. But, you know, he had one, you know, gorgeous performance and a couple gorgeous performances and then another and another. And the industry rose for him. We see your talent, young man. We will give you all of these projects. And that doesn't happen for our boys. Yeah. You know, and so I, I, I am hopeful but also a little fearful. Um, I look at them and say, what, what could be next for them? What do they get next? Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think that's the, the bittersweet um, part of creating something like this. You create a world for department heads of color and women department heads and actors who usually don't get a shot to have material this dense. And, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I talked to them. We had our big premiere at the Apollo last night. And I asked a lot of them, what are you doing? It's like, you know, you know, trying to get something else. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, every actor has their trials and tribulations, but there's another layer there for the actors of color, mm -hmm. especially um, the young boys. So, yeah, I'll keep a good thought for them yeah. and cast them in whatever I make. Yeah, we can also just say, by the way, um, you mentioned that there are, in the case of the boys, there are the younger actors and then the, the actors who played them as adults. Um, in one case, though, there's mm -hmm. an actor who played them. Yes, yeah, Terrell same. Jerome, who plays yeah. Corey Wise. So the actor yeah. who plays Corey Wise, who's the one who takes the stand yeah. at the end, um, actually plays plays the character all the way into adulthood. Yeah. Um, stunningly. Yes, he um, certainly does. Really, really fantastic work. Yeah, yeah, because he has a lot of. Um... You all are quiet. 
<laughs> is this what the New York crowd, Lincoln Center crowd? Well, we can do some. Because I was at the Apollo last night. It's a hard no, thing. No, well, that's to, different. You know, it's yeah, different. That's a little but... bit different up at the Apollo. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, before we take questions from the audience, I do want to ask you about production design and the, you know, apartments, places, because yeah. everything looks like, you know, it's researched down to the. Oh, good, good. Yeah. It's a tough city to capture in 1989, New York City, if any of you were here. Um, just through our extensive research, and you were here, mm. extensive research and talking to folks and watching the tape and looking at literally pictures of every block. There's a website that'll show you. You can put in the date. Yeah. It's crazy. I was like, how does this exist? I didn't mm -hmm. want to ask too many questions about where these files came from. But mm -hmm. our production designer found a site that you can actually bring up, put in an address and see the block, the whole block and the space 30 years ago. Yeah. Nuts. Um, and it was dirty. It's dirty. Just a it little. It was yeah. decrepit. Mm. It was scary. Mm. It was, you know, it was, you know, it was 80s. 80s look, um, but then also um, a lot of graffiti, a lot of trash. Just when I look at Central Park at that point, like the current Central Park people were like, Look, dude, we've cleaned this up. We're not going to let you come in here. I was like, I need trash here. I need graffiti here. You know, I'm walking with my clipboard. The guy yeah. from the park is like, Lady, yeah. never going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, we really have to try to just, you know, work the angles visual effects, yeah. whatever we could bring in. But literally, the park was so strict that he wouldn't even let us change lights. Like, I'm like, yeah. these, <laughs> let's let me change the light bulb. It didn't even look like that at the time. I remember the guy at the park's like, let, you know, are people going to notice? Yeah. Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> it's That's my would. job. They're going yeah. to notice. Yeah. So they were lovely, though. <laughs> Thank you, park people. They were really lovely. <laughs> they were really lovely. But, but it speaks to we've done a lot of work here because yeah. it was really wild at that point. So, um, so yes, and even though it was Netflix, we, we, they didn't just open the vault doors for us, um, even though they do have a vault and it has a lot of money in it. Um, so, but we had to be very strict on what we were changing, and you know, we did our best. Yeah. What was wilding, by the way? What did it, was it just like some kind of crazy... It was a distortion of of, of, of Wild and Out. Oh, it was a distortion that was of Wild taken, and Out. You know, okay. taken right. down. Okay. We've tracked it as just being. They heard the boy saying Wilding, yeah. and someone who didn't know yeah. what it was rolled it down as Wilding, and then yeah. you have press that are not asking the second question at that point. That's so right. So they're just um, yeah. they're just reporting it as fact. Yeah. Let's do some questions from the audience. Anybody want to say? Yeah, there's somebody right there, and there's a microphone. I think. Yeah, right, you're right there is extraordinary, not just on the personal level of each boy in New York City at that time. We still suffer from this. Did the New York P the, there were 12 New York PD um, policemen who are suing the New York PD in federal court because of the quota system, which I think you exposed but didn't discuss. Did they contact you? Are you uh, what do you think about this uh, 12 New York City policemen suing in federal court? the New York PD because of the quota system. I think that's fascinating. I'm not aware of the case. I'm going to Google tonight. It sounds interesting. Maybe I'll make their movie next. What if I made a movie about the police? Wow, that would be interesting. Um, but... <laughs> I laugh it. Good, I could. It sounds interesting. But no, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that case, but I'll look into it. Yeah, thank mm. you. 
Um, well, thank you so much for having us here and just being uh, in our presence and being able to show us. Appreciate that a lot. Um, very much respect you. Thank you. Um, as a Harlemite myself, I've, I just I think just talking about the production value on this, I think I it was just wonderful to see basically you know Harlem streets and I feel like I haven't really seen that in a nice high quality in a while. So that was that was really um, fascinating to see. Um, what I was going to ask about that was. What was your process? I, I mean, honestly, I'm curious about how you were able to kind of get this off the ground and just running in general, uh, this whole production. It's the project in general? Yeah, just how it well, started for you. And, yeah, sure. Well. Thank you for the compliment. Um, it started with a tweet, yeah. believe it or not. Raymond Santana, so this is the, the Latino boy, um, tweeted me in 2015 after he saw Selma, uh, which is a film I made about Dr. King. And he said, um, what's your next movie after Selma, question mark? Central Park 5, hashtag fingers crossed. And his, the name on the account was Raymond Santana, but the, but the user handle said Central Park 5. So I was like, wow, this, this is one of the Central Park 5. So I slid into his DMs, and I, um, and I asked him does no one have your story? And he said, no. And I said, well, I might be coming to New York in the next couple months. Maybe I'll buy you a coffee. Be honored to meet you. Just as a student of history and someone interested in, 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 the, in the criminal justice system. And so we met, and he's so charismatic in real life. He's a real, just a born leader. And he told me the story. And he looked into my eyes, and I heard things about the story that I didn't know. Um, the nuances, the, the the family, familial relationships, the, the internal pieces of it that, that I just don't think we've heard enough of. And so um, he, one by one, introduced me to each of the other men. And by the time I met them all, I was just like, can I please tell your story? Mm -hmm. They started asking me, and by the time I met them all, I was asking them. Yeah. And uh, we set out on this journey. It was 2015, um, and uh, it was around this time, so it's around the four-year anniversary of it. And then from there, um, at one point I thought it was going to be a film, just a, a, a one, this is a film, but like a, a two-hour film or something. But when I got in and started doing that research, looking at all the court transcripts, started to get slipped things by people that I probably shouldn't have had or seen, um, uh, starting to talk to people, some people on the other side of the case who were afraid to speak freely, you know, and publicly, um, but, but, but would call me and give me information. And then talking to the families, talking to the men, looking at all the press coverage, looking at the trial transcripts, you know, it, I said, this is it's not, it's too much for two hours. Mm. What other form? And lucky for me, this new limited series thing really just started around the same time. And uh, I'm a big fan of Kerry Fukunaga. Mm. And he was like, he directed all the true detectives. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to. If he can do it, I can do it. <laughs> Remind me never to do this again, okay? It was very difficult. Right. Um, I did it once. I was talking to Barry Jenkins, who's about to do it for uh, his, his series, Underground Railroad, and I was like, brother, <laughs> you know, change your socks at lunch. Make sure you have, like, just giving him all my tips to survive it. It's tough. Yeah. But I, I, I went to my friends at Netflix, who I'd done 13 with. I said that I wanted to do this piece. They immediately said, yes, what do you need? They open the vault just a little, just slightly. Yeah. I reached as much as I can, took it out and ran. So that's basically how it happened. How many shooting days did you have? 66 yeah. days to shoot a five-hour film, yeah. which is really yeah. crazy. Yeah. 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 
Thank you for someone less. Thank you for acknowledging the craziness of that. <laughs> yes. Is somebody over here? Yeah, yeah, right there. Got you. Hi, Ava. I just first I wanted to thank you for being such a strong and clear voice during a time that is scary and difficult and frightening. Um, so not just for your incredible films, but for the leader that you are. Um, when you talk about... When you talk about doing research for the film, it makes me think about how painful it must have been for you, to, to not only because of what you felt for these boys that became men, but because things seem to have gotten worse, um, not better, in all of these years. So I, I also think about how President Obama had said right before he left office, he was very clear when he talked to young people, he would say, don't be cynical. This is not the time to be cynical. So as an artist and as a human being, I just wanted to know, how do you balance cynicism, which we kind of naturally have, with hope? Because I feel like as a filmmaker, what I see in your films is there's so much truth, which is painful. I found it very painful to watch what you put together. But there's also hope. So I wanted you to talk about that. Thank you for the question. Very lovely. Um, I'm a student of history, so I know that there's precedent. Everything's happened before. You know what I mean? I can look at it and say, oh, things haven't changed much, but the fact that we're all sitting here, you know, 50 years ago, we would not have all been sitting here in this place. You wouldn't have been asking that question. That brother wouldn't have been even sitting next to him, the beautiful man who's sitting next to him so comfortably. We would not be in the space like this. Um, and that, that is in the lifetimes of many of the people here. So there has been some change. And yet I can also say very likely that there are five black and brown boys getting harassed by the police right now, brought in for something that they didn't do. Very likely that they're, you know, going to trial without proper representation. Very likely that, you know, many of the 2.2 million people behind bars, um, we know 90% of them have never seen a trial. If you saw 13th, that's one thing. I think that's how I got you to make it a premiere at New York Film Festival. He saw that quote. Well, 90% <laughs> of the people, 90% of the people behind bars at this moment in this country have never gone to trial. They've pled out because they didn't have the money, didn't have the wherewithal, thought it was a better deal to take. And so... While I can say there's precedent for there being change, and I know that to be true, we also know that it's not changing fast enough. And yet I believe in the power of film. That's my weapon. I believe in it. I know how I've been changed by film. I know how seeing Philadelphia changed the way that I thought about AIDS and HIV as a young you know, kid in, on the West Coast who didn't know, didn't know what it was and was scared and was afraid to catch it. And did. I know what that was. Oh, it's Denzel. Oh, it's Tom. Okay, yeah, he seems like a nice guy, you know? I know what, what, how my own view has changed about trans people in this country. Five short years, you know? So many people have just literally radically changed their minds about, you know, trans people. You know, being, being able to address them properly, being able to know uh, and acknowledge, um, you know, who they are as human beings. A lot of that has come through storytelling. And so I believe in this, and I feel like if I just keep doing it and other people keep doing it and we keep watching it and we keep talking about it, our attitudes towards prison, caging people in large numbers in this country will change. I believe it can. 
And so I'm just going to keep knocking my head against the wall until it happens. But um, I have a lot of hope. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and I, w- I also want to point out that um, the experience, you know, what you were just saying about your your vision of trans and you know and LG- the LGBT com- community. That's something that you deal with. So there's a section in the last mm-hmm. episode that's um, incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. It's in it's in the fourth that's, part. Yeah. Um, and it's um, I yeah. love that part. Yeah, me too. Um, I want to ask you about the interrogation techniques. Um, and where the New York City police force is with that, whether it was, I know that it was officially, you know, dropped, but then it's like, you know, these things come back like diseases. That the, the, the techniques that they use yeah, were officially yeah, dropped? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. official on paper and official in a yeah. dark room are two different things. Right, exactly. So who knows what, who knows what they're doing? And we're seeing yeah. them on videotapes. We're hearing about cases like this woman is telling us about. There's a lot right. going on that's yeah. unofficial. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right, right, Hard right, to know. Right. Yep. Yeah. Anyone else? We have time for a couple more. Yeah, right here. Oh, is is the is the Central Park jogger is still alive? Yeah. Yes, yeah. she's still alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's still alive. She wrote a book. Um, yeah. uh, I guess maybe twenty years ago now. Yeah, her name is Trisha Miley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hi, <laughs> my name is Nicolette. First of all, this is an incredible honor, so thank you so much for being here with us. And this film, I was literally bawling at the end. Um, As a young person of color um, who is trying to break into um, the entertainment industry myself, when it comes to these stories and us being storytellers and we're vessels that are telling these, these truths, do you ever find it difficult to remove your personal opinion or your personal feelings or do you ever feel like there were moments where um, you felt like you were almost too close and had to take a step back in order to give the story the justification that it needed to be told uh, unbiased oh this is not unbiased (laughs) well (laughs) you know what i mean like this is this is (laughs) this is this is um this is completely slanted um to what i believe uh, was never told and never said and never seen um, even 13th, mm-hmm. you know, I try to show um, as much as I could to um, give context, but I wasn't necessarily interested in balance. Mm-hmm. I was interested in telling the story that I wanted to tell, which was one about the ways in which I feel criminalization and had studied the criminalization had come to be mm-hmm. um, so rampant in this country, criminalization of black and brown people. And so I don't, I'm not, you know, there's some documentarians and some people who are, I mean, I can't think of any off the top, but <laughs> that, um, that, you know, uh, try to have that unbiased view. That's news. It's supposed to be news. Yeah, it's supposed to be. Fair and um, balanced. Yeah. Right. Supposed to be news, but um, filmmaking, storytelling is yeah. an artist's perspective. So I never, you know, fear that I'm getting too close. I think the closer I get, the more um, deeply felt the material is for me. The more deeply felt it will be for you. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank um, you. Thank you so much. What's really interesting, I just want to ask you in that regard, Eva, about um, uh, Vera Farmiga's character. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting character mm-hmm. and a really interesting, uh, great performance. Mm-hmm. Um, She's so great. Yeah. I really want to work with Vera Farmiga for so long. Vera Farmiga played Elizabeth Letterer, who is the prosecutor yeah. during the trial. And uh, I really want to work with her. 
And, you know, as a director, there's some people you really want to work with. It's just like anything. You want to meet someone, and then you kind of don't want to because then you'll be disappointed because you thought they were great, and then you meet them, and they're kind of rude or something. Shit. Or you meet some people, and they just expand, and they get better. That was Vera Farmiga. Um, she's fantastic. And, um, and, but her character is really one of the few characters on the other side of the case right. that I spoke to the real person. So I had the occasion to speak with Elizabeth Lederer a couple of times. And she didn't tell me much. Really, those conversations were trying to negotiate a sit-down where she would talk with me. And she didn't ever end up doing it. She didn't feel comfortable doing it without some stipulations that she had asked me to make, which I refused to do. Mm. And, um, but in those conversations... You know, I was taking everything in, the way that she spoke, the things that she had said she cared about. You know, I slipped in. I got a couple things in that gave me just a little, little bit of seed, a few seeds. And then I took those and I started to talk to people around her, people that knew her now, then people that know her now, people that she touched throughout her life to try to build her. And through that building of the character, because I didn't have it directly, but I took great pains to try to figure it out as best I could without her, um, I heard about a little bit of doubt, yeah, yeah. a little bit of doubt in there. And I wanted to honor that. It would have been easy to just paint her as a villain. Yeah. But when I heard it, I felt, okay, it's my duty to at least share this part that I felt I heard from, a, from more than one person. Yeah. And so there's that one scene um, in, in the second part of it where she goes to Linda Fairstein and she um, expresses this doubt. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm glad that that's in there because these are human beings. Yeah. You know, I think they made a grave error. Yeah. I think it's um, um, uh, horrific that they do not admit their error. They've never apologized to these men. Yeah. These men have been fully exonerated. They're innocent. Yeah. They were um, tried, arrested, tried, and convicted on no evidence. There was never DNA, never anything. You saw the trial. There was never, you just saw the whole trial. There was never, never anything physically on them, on her. Mm. And never anything from her on them. They were brought in immediately out of the park, three of them, immediately out of the park. Their clothes that they had that night were brought in, not even a grass stain, a match, one bit of blood, DNA, nothing. And yet they are, you know, sent away to prison Mm. on the propaganda of the case, on on confessions that were clearly coerced. Mm. And so um, the idea that within that, and I feel so strongly about these boys, but within the research, I heard a little bit of doubt on her part. <laughs> I feel like, ah, I can't bury that. You know, I, I have to have it in. And, you know, I don't know if it's better or worse to have had doubt and not followed it, yeah. you know, and not stay true to what you thought for a minute could be true mm-hmm. or to have never had it at all. Yeah. Um, but that, that was the case with that character. Yeah. Um, we'll do one last question. Yeah. Not my sister. She's not my sister. I heard somebody saying, is that her sister? <laughs> no? You never know. I mean, you know. You know we could, could we could. <laughs> uh, Thank you so much for your work. Thank you so much for inspiring us as women of color filmmakers. Um, we honestly, I mean, words cannot express. So thank you so much for all that you do. I want to ask a directorial question. How do you work with the actors? Are you kind of a hands-off director? Or are you a more kind of hands-on director. What's your process with getting those performances? Because Corey Wise's mother delivers such a powerful performance. How do you work to get those types of performances? Well, thank you for the question. I appreciate the question. I'm a director, but believe it or not, I rarely get directorial questions. 
Um, I appreciate you asking me about how we change the city. Um, but for me, and when I sit down with Kent, I usually will get, you know, because he is a filmmaker, I'll get questions about craft. But 99% of the time when I sit down, I'm being asked about race and gender. And I'm not asked the same questions as my white male counterparts are about how they made the thing. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, how do you direct the actor? Um, <laughs> let's be seen. Um, you know, my directorial style, I was a publicist before I was a filmmaker. And um, I loved that job. Um, it was a lot about, you know, um, nurturing and helping and protecting the people that I was working with. Taking care of them, I always felt like, I'm going to take care of this. I got this. I'll take care of it for you. Um, and, I, and I took that over into my filmmaking. But while I was a director, I mean, while I was a publicist, I publicized films for over 100 directors. Uh, 98% of them were men. 79 of them were white men. So I saw the way they directed. And I would be looking technically at how they moved the camera, but I was, was like, golly, this is, I would do it differently. I'd move the camera there, and I'd also say to the actor, you know, good job, or, oh, how about this? A little bit more maternal. Um, my mother's here, raised me with just a soft, warm heart, and that's how I try to be to people. But also, you know, it's an uh, iron fist and a velvet glove kind of thing. She's going to give you a soft, warm heart until, heart until she's not. Okay, hi, Mom. And so, and so it is that kind of iron glove, uh, velvet glove, iron fist. And most of it is um, trying to nurture the, the safest, most warm environment that I can for the work that I want from them. I used to be, uh, uh, when I was trying to first direct, I used to hear that a lot. Safe space. Create a safe environment. I remember I would read books and articles like, what? What do I need? Cones? How do you? Is it safety <laughs> tape? What is the safe space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does the safe yeah. space mean? Teddy bears. It just, yeah. 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 It just means comfortable. Yeah. You're just making people feel comfortable. Yeah. When you're comfortable, like I am here, you'll talk a little bit more. You'll give a little bit more. You'll try a little bit something different. Yeah. So in order to do that, I do it my way, which is a very big sisterly, for these boys, kind of motherly aunt kind of environment. You can do it. How do you feel? What do you think? I liked it. Did you? I didn't like it. Did you? Kind of, you know, just really making it more conversational. And I take that all the way up through all of my actors. In Selma, I was working with actors, white actors, who, I'll just tell this last story before I go, oh, God bless them. In the script, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't like the N-word, like as most Black people don't like the N-word. I don't like the N-word. And so in my script, I, I typed, get out of here, N-word, right, in the script. And so the actor came up to me and said, hey, Ava, can I just ask you a question? No, sure, sure, let's take a minute. Go aside. So in the script, you, it says, get out of here, N-word. I said, yeah, yeah, that's, what, that's the line. Um, do you want me to say N-word? Or do you want me to say the N-word? <laughs> I said, mm, so, yeah, no, the N-word, you know. <laughs> so not get out of here, N-word. I said, no, no, you're going to have to say the word. Oh, say the word, say the word. And in that moment, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'm a black woman from Compton, you know, like, shepherding, shepherding this person, trying to get them to say a word that I detest and despise. And I put my hand on the shoulder and said, I know this is difficult for you. You know, it's difficult for me to hear. But we need you to do this so that we have context to tell a story of justice. You are a warrior of justice right now. Can you do it? 
Yes, I can do it. And I remember he walked away from me and be like, all that is is my mom. Like, hmm. just talking about, you know what, Ava? You can do it. You know, I'm going to need you to just, you know. And, and so it's just that nurturing piece. It would have been easy to say, yeah, it's the N-word. Go say it. But it's just a little bit of sweetness. And so I think that's what um, I bring. That I, I, don't, I don't see a lot of, of male directors anyway doing it. Some directors use humor. Um, you know, use whatever uh, it takes, right? Huh? I mean, you use whatever, you use it, whatever takes it takes, but I think it needs to come from you. It needs to come, be authentic. Yeah, exactly. People, people can tell, and I'm not funny. Yeah. You know, and I'm and I'm and I'm not uh, sarcastic. Right. Um, but I do know from my days as a publicist and talking to lots of actors, and you know, that I treat others the way I want to be treated. That's another thing that my mom always told me. So that's my directorial style: be nice until you can't. Yeah. Then you drop the hammer. That's yeah. my advice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I just want to say, as, as uh, in relation to that, before we go, that what you said, there's something that you said before about um, the mission that the actors had of representing this story that you said lifted them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where craft and, you know, the spirit that drove you to make this movie in the first place mm-hmm. meet. That's the meeting ground, right, mm-hmm. I guess? Mm-hmm. I think so. I'm so proud of the cast. It mm-hmm. was a huge cast, 117 speaking parts. Right. Um, and uh, it spanned 25 years. Yeah. And it really needed everyone to be invested, and they were. And they were. I think their investment in it, their real um, uh, embrace of the stakes, yeah. uh, their desire to honor the story in these men, um, you know, we all got together to create something that we're all very proud of. May yeah. 31st on Netflix. Yeah. Thank um, you. Thank you, Netflix, thank you also. Fun. And can we also say happy birthday to your mom? Oh, it's my mom's birthday. There she is. Way, <laughs> mommy. Hey, happy birthday, mama. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. You've been listening to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Film at Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, Film at Lincoln Center presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support Film at Lincoln Center by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org. Film at Lincoln Center. Film lives here.